0: I would go to New York for work a lot and did never had a good time in New York.
1: For some people, like Andy Lomelli, New York can be overwhelming, even unfriendly. So a friend of his suggested, hey, next time you go, check out this great restaurant.
0: One day uh, where I had the evening to myself in New York, I decided to try it out. It was a bit of a line, but I waited and I said, oh my gosh, this is one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. And it completely changed my mind on New York and work travel in general. That's gotta
1: be a really powerful burger that changed the way you feel about a whole city.
0: It's one of those things where like the cheese, it melts so perfectly on that meat and it's just so gooey. Um, I'm also a really big fan of the bun uh, with the fries and the shake. I love Shake Shack, obviously.
1: Oh, now I want Shake Shack. But first, we got to do this. Welcome to Repeat Customer, an original podcast from Zendesk about great customer experiences, how companies create them, and why their super fans love them so much. Zendesk is a customer service and engagement platform. And me, I'm Neo Edelman sitting here jonesing for a burger and fries, as I explore the emergence of a dining experience called Fast Casual, through the rise of Shake Shack, from a single hot dog cart in a New York park to international chain. CX was a big part of their strategy. And when I say CX, I mean the customer experience, but I also mean the cheeseburger experience. Shake Shack was created by Danny Meyer.
2: Danny Meyer is today one of the most prolific and respected restaurateurs of his generation.
1: But he comes from a totally different background than your typical fast food executive. Before Shake Shack, Danny was best known for his fancier spots in Manhattan, like the upscale casual neighborhood Union Square Cafe and the fine dining Gramercy Tavern. Gramercy has a Michelin star, which should tell you all you need to know about Meyer's pedigree. I mean, I grew up reading about his restaurants in magazines and about Danny's singular attention to detail. He calls it enlightened hospitality. But because I didn't grow up in New York eating at his restaurants, probably better if food journalist Daniela Galarza tells us more about this thing called enlightened hospitality.
2: You don't tell the guest to no, know, you find a way around things, um, you anticipate the guest's needs, things that are pretty standard in Hospitality 101, but um, he really made a business out of it. I recently interviewed Ina Garten, and she used to live near the original Union Square Cafe.
1: That's the really famous Food Network host, Ina Garten, a.k.a. the Barefoot Contessa.
2: She remembers... The first time she walked in, first she noticed everyone said hello. The server was able to answer all of their questions. And so they went back the next week and the staff remembered them.
1: This was a busy restaurant.
2: She wasn't on TV at the time for them to remember that she really liked some particular dish. And so they brought it out for her, even though it wasn't on the menu that night. Danny Meyer early on got that it's all in the details and you have to remember the little things.
1: Treating your diners really well is kind of, no kidding, right? I mean, it's no secret. But Danny's service was next level. He thinks hospitality is the most important business strategy whatever your industry. So his places became very popular and he was able to open more restaurants. But then he got a different kind of opportunity. A community group that was beautifying Madison Square Park, which was near one of his spots, asked him to run a summertime hot dog cart.
2: Danny Meyer, being from the Midwest, um, it was always going to have Chicago-style hot dogs. Chicago-style hot dogs are notoriously on poppy seed buns. I'm from Chicago, so this is an important detail for me.
1: Oh, so now I could totally go for a hot dog, too. The hot dog cart did really well. And a couple years later, the same community group asked Danny to turn the cart into a takeout kiosk in the same park. So he added burgers, fries, and shakes, which are the basis for the Shake Shack menu even today. But remember, Danny was also running what would later become a Michelin-starred restaurant. Quality of food and service was extremely important to his brand. But the timing was right because something was happening to people's appetites for a new burger experience. I remember
3: when I was younger, and we probably all have similar stories to this. My dad used to take me and my brother to um, McDonald's,
1: and we'd order a number two. The guy having the combo number two is Danny Klein. He reports on the fast food industry for QSR magazine. QSR stands for Quick Service Restaurants.
3: So if you remember what a number two used to be, it was two cheeseburgers, fries and a drink, and we'd each get a burger. My dad would eat the fries. When I kind of look at that back then, you know, they were two tiny burgers. You know, who knows what the quality was, but they were, you know, about 50 cents a piece.
1: Around the time Danny Meyer opened his burger shack in Madison Square Park, the fast food industry was starting to have problems.
2: Yeah, in the late 90s, early 2000s, Americans were hearing all about the obesity crisis. There were a lot of conflicting reports about salts and fat. So what we were seeing was people rejecting fast food, in particular fast food burgers. It was in this, this time when McDonald's started struggling.
1: This changing view of fast food, and especially McDonald's, came to a head in 2004 with a documentary called Super Size Me, in which filmmaker Morgan Spurlock tries to live on only food from McDonald's for a month. The results are pretty gross. But, you know, hamburgers, cheeseburgers, are never going to be seen as health food. But there was now an appetite for a healthier burger. The timing couldn't have been better for Shake Shack because that first takeout kiosk opened the same year as Super Size Me. And if you were in New York at the time you probably would have found yourself lining up for it in Madison Square Park. What's the longest you've stood in that line for?
0: Man, I would, it's, I would say personally, I, it's got to have been 30, 40 minutes.
1: That seems like a crazy amount of time to stand in line for a hamburger in a city with as many great food options as New York. But that's what Chris Schott and pretty much everyone else used to do when he worked in the area.
0: I'm a food culture writer in Brooklyn, New York. The most memorable evening I had there, maybe 10 people in front of us, was the famed author and New Yorker writer, Malcolm Gladwell. I think it was maybe two or three people back from him was a big guy with this huge, I'm guessing it was a parrot. Ah! you know, with the wings spread and everything. And Malcolm Gladwell turns around and looks at this bird and just goes bug-eyed. And it was an amazing moment (laughs) in line at Shake Shack.
1: And this was the Shack Burger Chris, Malcolm Gladwell, and the parrot were standing in line for.
0: They had this specific beef blend that was made fresh every morning by a family-run butcher shop. So immediately... It was sort of this, you know, elevation of your normal fast food burger.
1: Hormone-free, premium beef, freshly ground.
0: Everything's very classic. The griddled patty on that really squishy potato bun, which, you know, kind of has that sort of backyard barbecue nostalgia to it. You've got the American cheese. You've got, like, the mayo concoction, secret sauce, whatever it is.
1: It's called shack sauce.
0: you got a very... Uh, very green slice of lettuce, and red tomatoes.
1: Simple ingredients, but they were the same quality as you would get at Danny's fine dining restaurants.
0: You just got this great, crushable little burger, and I think that uh, the precision of it speaks to, uh, you know, the culinary track record of the overseers. Just crush it, man. (laughs) Can you you
1: tell me what you mean by crush it?
0: (laughs) You know, crushable, where you can just, you know, burgers are meant to be eaten in, like, a sitting. You're not supposed to put it down. Crushable, you know?
1: I don't actually know what he's talking about, but I try imagining myself crushing a Shack burger as my conversation with Chris turns to the old-school crinkle-cut fries they serve. In the early days, they were the only thing frozen not fresh on the menu.
0: Let's take one. I have one right here. You're eating a crinkle-cut fry right now? I ordered this uh, almost an hour ago, and let's see how it stands up.
1: I can't believe you're eating a crinkle-cut fry in front of me. That's crazy. (sighs) This is now officially the hardest set of interviews I've ever had to do, having to deal with my growing hunger. And it only gets worse because when I think about New York, I think about the pizza, the Coney Island hot dog, a New York bagel, but not a burger. But all of a sudden, New York now had its own burger.
0: It's very similar to how West Coasters feel about in and out Or maybe people in, like, the D.C. uh, metro region would look at five guys.
1: A burger made with fresh ingredients while you waited that cost much more than what you were paying for at McDonald's. But Daniela Galarza says people were willing to pay.
2: It was immediately a success. There was always a line. They installed something called the Shack Cam so that you could open up a browser window and see if there was a line. It took off in this sort of cult way where visitors from out of town had to go to Shake Shack.
1: So, you know, burgers, a busy takeout stand, lots of buzz, time to expand, right?
2: In those early days, the first four years, Danny never thought about expanding at all.
1: And why is that?
2: He's always been about hospitality and and really... You can't express that same level of hospitality in a quick service restaurant. You can translate it, but you you can't do exactly the same sorts of things.
1: I totally get that. When I think of amazing customer service, I think about the ultimate dining experience. You might think about a great call center or a really responsive return counter at the store. But for me, it's eating amazing food served by extremely dialed in waiters. But it seems like an experience you have to pay for, and the kind of thing where if you scale it, you start compromising on quality. But at the same time that that one Shake Shack location in the park was gaining serious buzz, something else was happening in the larger world of fast food.
4: The 90s was a period of unprecedented growth for the restaurant industry.
1: Bonnie Riggs is a restaurant industry analyst, and she's talking about the heyday for restaurants. Casual dining restaurants, especially sit-down bar and grills like Applebee's and Chili's, did really well in the
4: 90s. The need for convenience, especially for dinner and off-premise purchases, largely supported industry growth at that time. And it was driven by more women entering the labor force.
1: But then something happened in the early 2000s.
4: We had back-to-back recessions, which were, they were fairly shallow, but still caused consumers to retrench.
1: Restaurants like Applebee's and Chili's took a hit. So did fast food. But another category, relatively new at the time, called fast casual, still did okay.
4: Fast casual restaurants were positioned as a fresh alternative to traditional fast food. There was a lot of attention placed on food quality and service, uh, freshly prepared food that you ordered from the counter.
1: Freshness and transparency around the preparation you got at places like Chipotle and Panera met the need for a slightly healthier experience. But those fast casual places were charging more than your typical fast food joint. And Bonnie just mentioned, you know, the recessions.
4: Consumers felt that prices were too high for the value they received from fast food, traditional fast food. But fast casual were perceived to be a better value, even though consumers were paying Seven, eight dollars at lunch at that time.
1: And Daniela Galarza says this was the opening for Danny Meyer and Shake Shack. A chance for a new customer experience.
2: I think Danny thought, well, what if I do that but for burgers?
1: After six years, six years in a park, Shake Shack slowly started to expand. But what does a team of fine dining restaurateurs know about starting a burger
2: chain? Well, and he was the first to say nothing. He he didn't have this background. These folks are not playing any games when it comes to Shake Shack. This line has been forming all morning. I
1: want to say in 2010, Shake Shack opened standalone restaurant locations, not shacks, in Midtown Manhattan, the Upper East Side, and in South Beach, Miami. The challenge was how do you translate some of Danny Meyer's enlightened hospitality to a chain concept?
2: For a lot of big food, And fast food, the C-suite level people sort of play musical chairs, you know, CEO of Wendy's is going to be the COO of McDonald's. And so they all bring the same skill set to each of these jobs. And this creates this massive group think. And here's somebody that comes in and says, I've never done fast food and neither have any of my lieutenants. And that's not going to stop us.
1: Danny's team, at least for the first many years, had all come from his fine dining
3: restaurants. They came in there and they said, we're not going to make it, you know, that cheesy, you know, red, yellow, green sort of look of a fast food burger joint. That's Danny Klein from QSR magazine again. We're going to make it hip and modern and appealing. They were in that early wave of understanding that you can actually sit down in a fast casual setting and not want to leave in 10 minutes.
1: They also rearranged the traditional
3: layout. So what better way is an operator in Shake Shack's perspective to say, okay, we're going to open the kitchen and put it right in front of the guests and you're going to perform like it's a restaurant. You're going to, you know, talk to each other and make it an environment that people want to be in. People are going to be
1: able to smell, you know, the food coming out of the kitchen. The design of the restaurants was a key differentiator, modern, comfortable, inviting and low friction despite the long lineups.
2: It's a really small menu compared to other fast food restaurants. It's really easy to see what you want. You order at the counter and you get a little buzzer.
1: And Danny Myers somehow managed to achieve a pretty high level of service.
2: He likes to hire people who who come in positive and who are just happy people. So there was always someone at the door saying hello to you. This is how he was translating his brand of hospitality to quick service. The Cashiers seem genuinely happy to be there, genuinely excited. You can hire for that sort of demeanor. Um, and then you can train them on how to sell wine or on how to talk about food or on how to cook. Um, and you can't you can't do the reverse, right?
1: It also helped that frontline staff was being paid above minimum wage
3: they're giving equity awards of $10,000 to every GM in the entire system this year. And I've never heard of, you know, pretty much anybody doing that. And that's one of those things where they're saying, okay, we're going to reward and keep and retain employees so that we can guard that customer experience. And one thing that they do, it's totally unique too, is that a lot of their employees come internally hired. They promoted upward of 1,100 employees just this past year, which is pretty you know,
1: remarkable for a chain that size. The other thing Shake Shack did was not franchise, domestically at least, which gave them a lot more control over the store. And each store retained a certain level of autonomy. While they're very clearly Shake Shacks, locations have a few exclusive items. One example is their frozen custard flavors. In some areas, they also struck agreements with local food providers to maintain things like freshness of ground beef. You know, this really reminds me of an episode we did last year on Trader Joe's, a small to medium-sized national chain that retained its local store feel by offering a lower amount of products, hiring and training super friendly and helpful staff, and allowing individual stores to reflect and interact with their surrounding communities. If you haven't heard that one, check it out and let us know what you think of the comparison by leaving a review here or posting something at zendescom slash repeat customer, where you can also get tips on how to up your company's customer service game. Okay, to now we've been looking at a pretty rosy rise from hot dog cart to international chain of about 200 plus locations, a growth aided by a laser focus on customer experience. But that focus has also helped them when things didn't exactly go the way they planned. The first story has to do with those crinkle-cut fries Chris Schott was eating in front of my face. In 2011, a food reviewer gave those frozen fries a thumbs down. So Danny Klein tells me Shake Shack decided to switch it up.
3: And, and they were coming from a good place where they said, let's gonna, you know, replace these crinkle-cut fries with hand-cut fries because we're an elevated, you know, fast-casual restaurant and people are going to go crazy for it. And then the exact opposite happened. <laughs>
1: People did go crazy, as in, if you don't reinstate the crinkle cuts, I'm going to go nuts.
3: Which is one of those things you see all the time where, you know, you have to know your customer and if you change their behavior, they tend to kick back on, you know, saying bring back the, you know,
1: original. So that's what they did.
2: Danny Meyer is good at admitting mistakes.
1: Daniela Galarza brings it back to his neighborhood restaurant background.
2: You know, if if you're a casual neighborhood restaurant and you serve gnocchi with tomato sauce every night and somebody comes in every week and has the gnocchi with tomato sauce, you're not going to take that off the menu without some explanation, without some background, or you're going to say it's always going to be available to this one guy who comes in every week. We have to take it off the menu to leave room for other things.
1: So now when Shake Shack makes larger changes, they test it out on a smaller scale.
2: When they launched their chicken shack, fried chicken sandwich. They did it only at one location at first and for a limited time. And then they did it only at a few handful of locations. They made sure that they could all handle it and then they ramped it up and they launched it fully.
1: This is totally different from the full-scale new product launches you see at big fast food chains. It's a more methodical approach so they can maintain a pleasant customer experience and not take heavy losses on special equipment, which totally saved their butts in this next challenge.
2: In a location near New York University, um, Astor Place, they tried kiosks only where you could only order from a kiosk and you can only order with your credit card.
1: The idea here was that the mainly young office workers in the area wanted something super quick and easy and didn't really carry cash anyway. But there were a whole bunch of other people who did.
2: And this was a real sticking point because... If enlightened hospitality is you anticipate a guest's needs and you were there for the guest in any way that they need you to be, then you accept all forms of payment.
1: So now when you go to the Astor Place location in New York, you can order through a kiosk with credit or at the counter. But again, think about what could have happened if they bought a bunch of cashless kiosks and placed them in multiple stores. Nightmare. But controversy aside, this experimentation with tech was vital because As successful as fast-casual restaurants have been, a new challenge has cropped up for Shake Shack and the overall industry.
4: Fast-casual came on the scene in the early 2000s. At that time, they only had a 1% share of uh, total industry traffic. Today, they have a share of 6%, which doesn't seem like much. But 6% of 62 billion visits is a lot of visits.
1: That's Bonnie Riggs again, the restaurant industry analyst, with some good news, bad news, because that 6% share of the pie for fast casual is great, but the pie itself is shrinking. Why is that happening?
4: We have more restaurants than we have bodies to fill them. There are 647,288 restaurants in the U.S. That's a lot of restaurants.
1: And the people who are still eating at those restaurants want to do it differently.
4: It's changing consumer lifestyles that are having a major impact on the restaurant industry. You have to have a strong digital platform. Consumers want to be able to order, pay, and then go pick it up if you don't have delivery.
1: So as Shake Shack grew, they had to rethink the way they interacted with their customers. But again, this is not something you really have to think about in fine dining. If you go only back two
3: years, they didn't have delivery. You know, they didn't have a mobile app. They didn't have mobile ordering.
1: Well, that seems really late to be getting into digital.
3: They introduced ASAP ordering, which is something, you know, you see in a pretty much any fast food restaurant now where you order and then you get to go skip the line. So they introduced that in early 2017, and it's now accounts for 70% of all orders placed through their app. So Shake Shack was playing a bit of catch up. But once they did, they noticed something. What happened was, though, is that they kind of realized that the app experience itself was subpar. And the main thing that they wanted to do was make it easier to check out. Basically, they realized that restaurant tech needed to catch up to their enlightened hospitality. So they redesigned it with a series of sprint-based designs to reduce the number of taps it takes to purchase by roughly 50%. Wow. Every retail company is trying to get you to the checkout quicker. But you don't hear about that in food too much. But in Shake Shacks, they actually think about stuff like that. So, I mean, another thing is they added it so, you know, guests can now favorite past orders and quickly reorder. Subway does that too. But, um, you know, and then the other thing was that they really wanted it to become a personalized experience, which, again, is very different than your typical sort of restaurant app you know, app exclusive menu items, special offers, local deals where they can one to one market with you and so you're you're looking at an app for a restaurant that almost treats you, you know, like they're curating to your behavior. The changes they made with their app this past year were perfect kind of like wrap up what they do and how they think about customer experience.
1: So I'm in New York City. I'm standing right outside the Shake Shack at Astor Place, and I'm just about to go, and I've never never been to a Shake Shack before. So, after talking about burgers for what seemed like forever, uh, I had to go check one out, and my hands were shaking. I was so hungry as I walked into the Shake Shack. I was welcomed right away by people who did seem happy to see me, and I ordered from a kiosk, which is something they also have at the McDonald's near my house, but this kiosk sent me a text message saying it had my order and it texted me again when the food was ready.
2: Mio. Hi, Mio. Hi. I'm a shark and I'm back
1: to my shake. Thank you, Mio. A lot. Have a good day. You too, thanks. See ya? On one hand, all of this seems like a pretty mundane purchase, but it's also incredibly smooth, which is probably the point. A hassle free, frictionless experience. But the very not mundane part is this double shack burger with shack sauce, lettuce, tomato, American cheese, and I freestyled some bacon on it. It was totally crushable. I looked around wanting to share this experience with someone, but the guy next to me was in his own little happy trance. He dipped a crinkle cut fry into a cup of extra shack sauce, then he put the fry in his burger before taking a big bite. I looked back at my burger and thought about the kind of incredible amount of CX that had gone into it. I mean, Shake Shack definitely benefited from some good timing and favorable market conditions, but so many lessons here. Invest in your staff to maintain quality. Stay as local as possible. Don't grow too fast. I mean, not every fast casual chain has survived by scaling too quickly. Look to adjacent customer experiences to inform your own. In this case, they actually translated some fine dining principles. And really interesting, offer your customers not just value, but the value they want. This last point, or at least an element of it, also relates to this dating app I've been following called Hinge, which a couple years ago realized its members were willing to do a bit more work in order to trade quick hookups for lasting relationships. So it got rid of swipes and totally redesigned the app user experience. So the customer experience of dating apps is what we'll look at next time. Until then, thanks for listening.